Attention musicians of all levels. It's not always easy picking out a song by ear. Sometimes you need a little help. Well, I have the app for you. Whether you're a professional musician or a beginner, Ultimate Guitar is an amazing app. For just $2.99, you get the chords and tabs on guitar, bass, or ukulele for over a million songs. They're all available at your fingertips. You also get tools like a tuner, metronome, chord library, lessons, videos, and more. You can find out any song you want. It also has like transpose button. It has auto scroll that you can change the speed to so you can play along with the song. A lot of the songs have the lyrics there so you can sing along with them. Ultimate Guitar is an amazing app. Just go to ultimateguitar.com or download the app to your phone today and start playing. Start playing any song you want. Ultimate Guitar, that's the place for you. Let's get down. Hey gang, do you find yourself listening to your music on one app and then listening to your podcast on another app? If you do, stop this insane behavior right now and download Spotify. Spotify is home to all of your favorite music and all of your favorite podcasts. Podcasts including Fly on the Wall, the Saturday Night Live podcast with Dana Carvey and David Spade. The Rock on Tours podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Old favorites like Fresh Air, My Favorite Murder, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Look, if you're looking for a news podcast or sports or entertainment or true crime. Look, if you're if you're looking for a sewing podcast or an RV podcast, Spotify has all of this for you. That's Spotify. All of your favorite music and all of your favorite podcasts in one place. Find it in your app store and start listening today. That's Spotify, music and podcasts. Let's get down. Hello, I'm Johnny. I'm your host. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys all had a good weekend, whatever it is you did this weekend. It was yet another gorgeous weekend here in Austin for one of our giant events. They had ACL the last two weekends, and then this past weekend was the Formula One, the F1 weekend, where they do all the stuff. They have big concerts. I think the Killers played on Saturday. Queen featuring Adam Lambert on Sunday night. Big shows, big races, tons of people in town. So uh, I played on Friday night, but I played out at the uh, soccer stadium, at, at the Q2 stadium. It was a great time. It was an interesting, it was a fundraiser for Soccer Assist, of course, at the soccer stadium. And uh, they had three different acts on the bill. It was Heartburn, the Talking Heads tribute band here in Austin, which is a fucking great band if you ever get a chance to see them. Check them out. Uh, our, my dear friends, the West Texas Exiles. They were on the show recently. They played that night too. It was great to see them. They sounded fucking fantastic. They've been on the road. So when they came off and just like, you know, you can tell, you can tell that a band's been out doing a bunch of shows. When they come off the road, they're firing on all cylinders and just ready to fucking take you by the throat. And that's the kind of set that they performed. It was great. And, uh, and we had a great time playing out there. I've never been out to that, to that Q2 stadium. It's fucking really, really cool. It's beautiful. It's nice. It's very green. <laughs> it's it's very very green um hey i wanted to let you guys know that next monday october 30th i will be playing with kimmy rhodes and sean pander and gabriel rhodes and harmony kelly and drummer john chipman over at the saxon pub at 6 30 p.m that's monday october 30th at 6 30 p.m kimmy rhodes has been doing a songwriter in the round series that has been raising money for charity and it's been going very well. I went last week and saw the one with all the piano players. There were five piano players on stage. It was insane. I think I talked about it on the show. Um, but I will be there on Monday, 6.30 p.m. It'll be me, Sean Pander, Kimmy Rhodes, Gabe Rhodes, Harmony Kelly, and John Chipman playing some songs for about an hour and a half. So come on out and check that out. Should be a lot of fun. I haven't, I haven't done my own stuff here in town in a while. And it's always fun with a band like that. I know Kimmy will be singing along with stuff. Gabe will be singing along with stuff. It'll be a lot of fun. Um, then Halloween night, Tuesday, Halloween night, I will be going back to the Saxon pub and taking part in my friend, uh, Jeff Plankenhorn's annual Halloween show, the Dr. Plankenstein Halloween show, where there's tons and tons. I'll only be singing one song. Tons of singers come, they come up, they sing. It's like an hour and a half, two hour show. There's a house band. It's usually a lot of fun. There'll be costumes. I don't know what I'm going to be yet. I don't. I don't really concern myself with Halloween stuff too much. 
until usually right before, unless I have a great idea going up to it. So if you have any ideas for Halloween costume, let me know. You can follow our Facebook page at How Did I Get Here. If you want to follow me on Twitter, threads, or Instagram, it's at Johnny Gowdy. Tweet at me. Let me know what you think I would make a good, uh, what kind of what kind of costume would be great for me. Gang, I have a great show for you guys today. Houston native who has moved to Austin over the last couple of years. Singer-songwriter Jason Hawk Harris is my guest on the show today. Now, I made a bit of a mistake when I did... When I, when I first got the thing from his, got the email from his publicist, it was a huge, a big, big time publicist. I just assumed he wasn't from here and I booked it and I did it over Zoom, but he does live here in Austin. We should have done it in person, but it's a great conversation. He has a brand new record that just came out like a couple weeks ago called Thin Places. It's out on Bloodshot Records. It's available, available on vinyl and, um, it is fucking great, man. This record explores every part of grief that he experienced after his mother's death. Like it, it's written from start to finish as a continuous artistic statement and meditation on loss, self-destruction, and recovery. It's a very heavy record. Uh, great, great songs. Great, great songs. This is a pretty amazing record. And also Bloodshot Records. He's, he's got a great story. Like he put his last record, Love in the Dark, out on Bloodshot Records, but then Bloodshot went under for a little bit and then came back like they went under financially but then 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 uh like on the third day they were resurrected and they came out and they put out this great record thin places which also as i said it's available on on uh vinyl go to jasonhawkharris.com for all of your jason hawk harris needs the record was produced by andy freeman we have a really great conversation about moving to la from houston when he was 18 um, eventually going back to Houston, like making these records, writing songs, dealing obviously with his mother's death. That's something we have in common. I lost my mother as a teenager. So there's a lot of these songs that, especially there's one song called Bring Out the Lilies, which uh, for me really f- took me back to sort of a lot of my feelings when my mom died, which was pretty amazing. So anyway, amazing songs, amazing songwriter, great conversation. He's also He'll also be on tour in January doing the West Coast uh, go to jasonhawkharris.com for all of your Jason Hawk Harris needs, all right? He doesn't have any shows on the books right now locally or anything coming up until January and February, all right? So go to jasonhawkharris.com. Get this record, Thin Places. Check it out. Amazing, amazing music, amazing songs. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with this fabulous songwriter and extremely cool dude, Jason Hawk Harris. Let's get down. She died on Good Friday Just like the Lord But she didn't rise up like a king on this bright Easter morning She sleeps in a drawer Or some cold metal table And here I am sitting at church And I don't know why There's flowers in front of the This new record, Thin Places there's so there's so much to talk about it, but first of all, I just want to say that uh, uh, what's out there now, like the singles, uh, Jordan and the Nile, it's unbelievable. Uh, the latest single, Bring Out the Lily, is just gorgeous song, and uh, that whole thing, the way it speeds up at the end and the crazy strings and all that stuff. You are, do you do those string arrangements? Because I read that you're classically trained. Yeah, um, sometimes I actually do, uh, most of the time I actually do write out the string parts and uh, arrange them. Other times I tend to like an approach where we can be kind of more improvisatory with it. And so me and my fiddle player, Phil Glenn, we'll just, I'll be in the control room and he'll be in the tracking room. And we'll just kind of, I'll just kind of like be like, okay, can you try something like this here? And then have him sort of like make something and just kind of direct his improvisation and see what we come up with there. In the case of Bring Out the Lilies, that's very much written, written out, um, those string parts. Okay. But uh, yeah, not on every song. Um, uh, This record's just unbelievable. It's gorgeous. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, there's uh, there's so much behind it, and it seems like even you're still on the same label that you were with your last record, but they've folded and came back to life in between. Yeah. <laughs> what a crazy story. Now, Blue yeah. Sox been around. That's, that's, those are the people that put out that first Ryan Adams record, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Heartbreaker. Right. They do some Alejandro mm-hmm. Escobedo as well? Yep, they did. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we've known about them for a while. I'm glad that they're back. Yeah, me too. And I think um, I think it's a better situation. Um, I was a big fan of Rob Miller, the guy that um, one of the owners that owned the label before. Um, but I think, you know, the time that they had running the label was, had kind of come to a natural end and, um, and unfortunate and sticky and really bad ending too. But, um, yeah, I think it's a good situation now with the folks from acceleration music. Great. Well, congratulations. Cause I know that, I mean, that's a weird, so that doesn't, I don't know if anybody actually has this. I've never heard a story like that and I've heard a lot of stories. Yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting one. I'm not. I'm not sure. I loved being a part of it while it was happening. Sure, it didn't <laughs> but, seem like. Um, it's funny because when you're going through your Instagram, right? When I, I do this like research, like I read the bio, I read the stuff the publicist sends, and then uh, of course I go through the socials and see what the person's saying about their own thing. And there's a whole mm-hmm. section when you're going through it where you're like, "Hey, you know." And then I think you set up a. a, a like a Kickstarter or something like that. Did you? Yeah, I just, I, I was kind of desperate to finish the record and obviously I didn't have funding anymore. So I was just like, you want me to finish it? Just send me, you know, send me some money. Um, here's my Venmo. And <laughs> people, people did. So yeah, that's kind of how I got it. I got it finished enough to send off to the new bloodshot. And they were like, we love this. And then they, you know, did what they had they to do to me. take it on. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, thank uh, you. Uh, real quick, some more logistics about this record. You recorded this record in uh, in Nashville? That's right. And who's the producer? I have it in my notes, but I... I'm Andy, Andy Freeman. Freeman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's his story? Um, Andy is a guy who's been recording music and producing music for a very long time. Um, he was early on, um, a member of Manchester Orchestra, um, before, you know, moving on from that and did some work with, um, uh, oh my goodness. I, this is terrible that I can't remember their name. Um, three women, all sisters, um, Mandress starts with sisters. an E. No. Starts with an E. Uh, hold on, we're going to get this because this is terrible. Okay. Um, You're a terrible person. We've already uh, established that. <laughs> um, three girls. See how good Google is with this. No, I don't think I'm going to find it. This is so bad. Oh my gosh, he's going to kill me for not knowing this. But anyway, they had quite a bit of success and. And, uh, yeah, he's just been kind of a journeyman going around and producing different records. And, um, uh, he produced the, the record that the, the last record for the band I was in before this, which is called, uh, we were the show ponies and he produced our last record. And that's where I really like started to like his process and how he did things. And, and, um, after that band broke up, that's when we started working together. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty smooth from there. We've got a good working relationship. Was that a band you had in LA? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we toured nationally, but that's that's where we were based was Los Angeles. Okay. Um, when you play live, do you play with the whole band here? Like, I know you're going to be doing some shows, and you just did like Americana Fest. Did you do that with a yeah. band? Yeah, I did Americana Fest with a band, and I'll, I'm, I've got a couple shows here coming up in in Texas that I'll be performing with a band. I've got some. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Who are you guys here? Oh, yeah. Um, so here it's, uh, as of now, it's Simon Page on steel, Alex Hartley on piano, Dorian Colbert playing drums. Ah, uh, Dorian. Still, I played with yeah. you. I love Dorian, man. I played with yeah, him. Yeah, this will be my first time. I, this will be my first time playing with him outside of like a church gig. All right. Um, but uh, yeah, I really like the guy. I think he's great. And I really like his uh, his feel. So I think it'll be... It'll be good. I'll be. This is the first time I'll be playing with them is October fourth in San Antonio. So we'll see how it goes. That's great. 
Um, are you doing something here for the release in Austin? I'm not. Uh, I'm sort of doing something a little new that a lot of other bands are doing as well, where I'm not like immediately launching into a national tour. Uh, as soon as the record comes out, I won't be starting that until um, January. Okay. And uh, when I do, though, I'll be I, I'm I'm going to be two of those two of those shows will be in Austin. Okay. Um, and yeah, so uh, won't be as so much a release show as it will be just like a homecoming, and I hope kind of an unofficial sort of like release show. But yeah, nice. Um, all right, so. Uh... Let's get into this. So in uh, before the pandemic, after you put out the first record for uh, for uh, for Bloodshot, mm-hmm. um, which is wait shit, what I wrote down the what is it called? Love in the dark. Right, love in the dark. Uh, you put that record out. You went on tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is that is that when your mom passed? No, my mom actually passed in um in 2017. Um, so about two years before that record came out. Um, but the way that I had been recording um, this the first record is you know kind of all over the place, and um, and I uh, when she died, I just. I, I started writing other songs, these songs. I started writing the songs on Thin Places, um, but I didn't include them on um, on Love in the Dark at the time because I had already recorded all the songs that I wanted, and I felt like I wanted to give them their own space. Okay. Um, yeah. All right, so then that happened. You put out your record and you went out, but so you you were going through this grief through that time. Yeah, for sure. Because this whole record is yeah. basically you processing yeah. this experience of losing your mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm really sorry about that. We were close, but our relationship was definitely complicated. Okay. Sometimes they <laughs> I'm are. sorry about that. Yeah, I think we've got a little bit of a lag right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you grew up in Houston? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you, your parents were married? Born and raised in Houston. Okay. Yeah, they were married married the whole time. It was kind of a tumultuous marriage, but you know, it was uh it was a, it was still a good one. It was still a loving one. Okay. I says you know, it's kind of a, a uh, they seem to be that way, regardless of you know, mm-hmm. once you're in a relationship for more than like ten years. Yeah. It's yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know. Excellent point. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what part of Houston were you guys in? Um, I grew up in, like, the various parts of Houston. So, Humble, mostly. Humble, Texas. Okay. So, it's, like, northeast. Yeah. Northeast side. And um, spent some time in Kingwood. And then <laughs> Clear Lake as well. Okay. I lived in the yeah. Woodlands from fourth to ninth grade, which is like oh, like, did you really? Yeah, late seventies, <laughs> early eighties, kind of. Area. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, so, um, all right. So, uh, what happened to your mom? Like, uh, do you mind tell, saying what? No. Like, was it long? No, no, or was no. it? Yeah. So she she had a really really traumatic childhood that um, she always had a hard time sort of. Um, getting past and dealing with and it was just a constant struggle for her and her way of coping with it was through drugs and alcohol and she just you know she was in and out of rehab rehab for most of my teenage and preteen years and in college as well and uh, even after college and for so for about, I mean, she fought it pretty hard for about, you know, it must have been 10 or 12 years. Wow. And she just really would go to rehab and come back and be good for a while. And then have a, she just break down and, you know, go back to whatever alcohol or 
fentanyl or painkillers or whatever it was. And, and, uh, she just kind of, yeah, alternate between being sober and being completely gone. And, um, I think ultimately she died from colitis, but I mean, it was complications due to her alcohol problem is, is what killed her. Ultimately, she just went on one kind of final bender, um, like a year before she died, she went on one final bender that was a pretty epic one where she had consumed the only calories she had consumed for like four weeks was vodka. Jesus. And, and she was just, you know, I mean, her blood alcohol level was something crazy, like 0.4 or something like that. Not 0.04, but 0.4. Right. And yeah. And, um, yeah. And so a year after that, she got, she got sober again and it stuck until she died. But that, that bender sort of really just, it, 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 it ultimately just destroyed her liver and her body and its, its ability to recover. And she had just done so much damage to it over the years that they just, yeah, that was it. So, man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. That's really tough. Do you have siblings? I have one little sister. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, are you guys are, are you guys close? Did you guys got you like with your dad? Did all the three of you guys kind of bond together? Yeah, I mean, my dad and and I are extremely close, and me and my sister and my dad have a really good relationship, and um, I think you know, we were already pretty bonded. I, I don't know if anything, I think that the opposite happened. We sort of lost a bond with each other while we were grieving. Um, it was sort of a kind of this situation where, you know, my dad, whose mother is still alive, his, my grandmother is still alive, um, had lost a wife, which I couldn't relate to. And I had lost a mother, which he couldn't relate to. And there was just a sort of like chasm between us that had never existed in our relationship. So I think if there's one thing that grief really does isolate you from even the people that you've never felt isolated from. Yeah. And um, that certainly happened uh, to me. So I think that ultimately we've bonded over her memory and, and everything, but in the immediate aftermath, I mean, for a year and a half, our relationship was just kind of weird. It was like we were both grieving the same person, but in a very different way, and we couldn't really be there for each other. And you started drinking during that time? Um, you know, I drank pretty heavily during that time, yeah. Uh, I mean, I started drinking in high school, but I started abusing, I would say I... I I often say I don't think I'm an addict. I think I'm an abuser because <laughs> I'll go long periods of time without drinking. But sure. you know, when sometimes I find myself just like just going way too nuts with alcohol, and um, yeah, and then I'll stop for a long time and I'll be fine, and and I'll get a beer here and there and just have no issues whatsoever um, with it. Whereas, like, I feel like my mom was an addict addict. Like she, she couldn't be, she would get mad if somebody left a glass of wine on the table. She'd be like, are you going to drink that? Drink it. You should drink it. It's there. And then if they didn't drink it, she would drink it. You know, she had a real, a real chemical dependency, chemical and mental dependency on alcohol, which I feel like for me, sometimes it's just a way to soothe. Um, right. And, um, and it does that for me. And, and, uh, so I, I drank pretty heavily and had some scary moments, uh, where I just like wake up on a curb, you know, and, uh, and that, that has stopped completely. Thank God. I mean, once that, yeah, once that I had sort of gone through the initial grieving process, I'd say that behavior kind of happened intermittently over about two years. 
and then I finally kind of sort of got myself together and I was like, okay, I think I'm, I think I, I, I should go to therapy and actually deal with this instead of just drinking my face off. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And so do, do have you done you, I read that you also do, uh, like in your Twitter, do you do, uh, uh, um, some kind of computer programming or code writing or something? Yeah. So when the pandemic hit and I lost all my tour dates, um, which was all the money I had planned on making that year, I was kind of like, okay, well, I got to do something else cause I got to make money. So I went to, um, I went basically went back to school and became a software engineer. And, um, I've been doing that for about two years now. And, um, yeah, it's a great, I, I actually, I feel really lucky because when I was a kid, the two things I wanted to be was a musician and the other was a, was a hacker. (laughs) So I feel pretty lucky to be able to, do both. And I think what's nice is I really, really enjoy the work that I do in computer science. I think it's really, really rewarding and challenging and interesting. And, um, it's something that sort of helps me do music better because I'm not so, I can kind of let myself freely write and create the music that I want to write and that I hear in my head and that I want to put out there to the world without needing to think about like, is this going to get licensed? Yeah. Um, which is something that for a long time I did think I was just like, I got to make this so that like people will like, you know, give me sinks or, you know, something that'll have like mass appeal and which never felt very natural to me to do, but I felt like a necessity to do it because I know that's how you make money in this business. Um, if you make any. Yeah. And, um, so, so yeah, I think that, that doing this and writing code, uh, has given me the ability to just be who I am as an artist while also keeping one foot in reality with yeah. like a regular day job Yeah, yeah. and it's fully remote. So I can do it while I'm touring as well. And the company that I work for is extremely cool about my, my uh, music career and, and, um, letting me take time off and stuff like that when I need to. So yeah, it's been a pretty good situation. I'd say it's one of the smarter things I've ever done was just go get a day job that I really, really love. So that it's not like something that, you know, I'm pissed about having to do. Right. Um, but, but something that I'd want to continue doing, even if, you know, music takes off to a place where I don't actually need to have a day job. I would still, I would still want to do this work because I really enjoy it. That's cool. It's interesting because you can take the, yeah, like what you were saying about not having to uh, focus on writing music that would fit in a commercial fashion, just being able to make more of an artistic statement with your art. Because when you put that kind of financial pressure on your art, it all of a sudden takes on a different, I I, I have gone that route where I have, uh, I've had to like step back and find a different way. I mean, now I play in like a cover band and stuff like that. I have for, for quite a while, but just step mm-hmm. away and find a way to to earn money so that you can treat your art with the uh, uh, care that it deserves as opposed to trying to make it do something. Yeah, 100% <laughs> yeah. agree with all of that. Yeah. Um, so that that's an interesting thing that you bring up because when I was listening to uh, to both Love in the Dark and Thin Places, there is a definite more more of like a uh, a focused sound that has a familiarity to it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just like even in the production of it and sort of the songs, where uh, where thin places really is a lot sort of like freer. Yeah, I would completely agree with that, and I think like my whole my whole. Uh, development as an artist and as a writer and composer um, has always been about getting to a place where I'm so free with what I write and how I compile things together that um, I can do it without having to chain myself to the conventions of a particular genre. Right. And yeah, so I, 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 I think all the, 
a lot of times my records of the music that I've been involved with will have like every each song is very very different sounding. Yes. Um, and I I really like contrast. I love contrast, but more than anything, I love contrast when it keeps a cohesive narrative throughout the rest of the music. Yeah. And I feel like there in, in other records when I've done that in the past with either the show ponies or with my, or with the love in the dark, I feel like I've been kind of still working out how to do that. And thin places is the first time where I feel like I've sort of where I feel personally in my own judgment that I've accomplished this and um, I hope to just keep getting better at it. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always been kind of disenchanted by the idea of chaining myself to the conventions of a particular genre. Is it hard then to find musicians to surround yourself with that, that can sort of speak in the different languages that you sort of like move fluidly through? Uh, sometimes. So I, I like to have a mix of like, um, this is going to sound insulting, but I'm not being insulting at all. Like conventional musicians, they're just like great players and they, you know, they're like country players or rock players. And like, they have their thing that they do really well. And then I like to have a couple members that are like, you know, classically trained like me that can talk in orchestrational and arranging terms that, that I know, because when, when it comes down to it, when I talk music to people, because of my classical background, I still use classical terms. Um, so I, I know that I know that with with my drummer, for example, Kevin Brown, I know that guy is going to know what I mean. Uh, my longtime drummer, Dorian, is going to be playing with me for these next two upcoming shows. But um, but my longtime drummer, Kevin, who's, who plays drums on all the albums, I know he'll understand exactly what I mean when I say crescendo poco a poco for two minutes. And like it's, and then, and then the way, and then I don't expect that at all of like, say like the guy who plays pedal steel for me, um, on the record, Adam Kurtz, um, because I want him to be as him as he can possibly be. And I'm a big fan of collaboration. And one thing that I don't necessarily love about the classical music world is this, uh, especially composition is like, writing every single note and controlling every single aspect of what goes down. Now, I think there are people that do this that are amazing. And I think a lot of great music has been written like this. And I, I don't want to disparage that at all. But just for me personally, I like bringing someone into the fold and saying, I want you to be exactly what you are in the context of my music. Me too. And yeah, go be an artist, go, go nuts. Yeah. That's why you're bringing other people into it. Yeah, that I, I've 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 done both ways, <laughs> and you know, like sitting behind a drum set and showing a guy exactly what I want, but done professionally. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, right, to, right, right. To like, hey, why don't I bring in that drummer? And hey, what would you do on this song? And then, boom, I'm in a different world, and and that now, like, the recording, you know, the song is is telling everyone where to go as opposed to the, yeah. the fucking idiot that wrote it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes songs do take on a life of their own. I think, I think it's a little bit of both though, right? Like every now and then there's a song that just like, sure. yeah, yeah. fits very specifically into what you like. Jordan and the Nile is a great example of a song that like, it's very, it's very coordinated. It's very arranged. And, um, it's something that, you know, uh, I, I just felt that there were, I, there were so many times that I just felt like this isn't working. This isn't working. We were arranging it that I finally just sat down with a piece of paper and pencil right. and staff paper and just like wrote out an arrangement and like wrote very specific string parts and, right. um, which kind of got, uh, kind of got, um, mixed, mixed up a little bit and, and changed during the actual recording process. But then there's a song like the third track on the record, uh, Shine a Light, Shine a Little Light, where like, I just said, like, everybody do your thing. And they absolutely did. And I think, I think it's cool to, to have both, but my preference is for the kind of, it's for like a mix, like something that there's specific things that I really want. And then I want people to bring their own flavor. 
Yeah. Well, you really score. I mean, this record is just beautiful. It really is. It's really beautiful. And w- one of the things I was wondering, and I, I guess maybe it's different for you since you come from a classical background and pieces are larger, like the grand mm-hmm. piece, as opposed to the little pieces that make it, which would be songs in this case. Right. Uh, after after writing a record like this and really exploring all of the aspects of one part of life so deeply, does uh do do you do you long now to make your next record like a bunch of songs you just wrote? <laughs> you know what I mean. That's a, I, that's definitely something that I've thought about. Is just like putting out, you know, a record of just a bunch of songs. And um, well, you imagine I, like. I think it's, uh, sorry, but you'd think like somebody like Roger Waters after he did the wall would yeah, have, would yeah, have immediately been yeah. like, hey, let's just write like songs, like the first record we ever made, you know? For sure. I think I, I do I do suffer from um, compulsive grandiosity. <laughs> like I get, I, I just, I, it's hard for me to... And I find this as I as I go on, it's it's hard for me to not really really dive into something full bore. And I don't, I guess I just don't, I don't necessarily write um, write like that much anymore. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I'll just bust out like a you know three or four minute uh, song that's just its own unit. And um, but I don't. I often write songs with the context of thinking about them in the context of other songs that I might write to complement them to kind of fit together as a whole. Right. Um, but at the same time, I do think it's liberating to just be able to like put something out there. And I, I like what they do in the hip hop world, which is they, they kind of uh, differentiate between an album and a, a, a um, mixtape, a mixtape. Yeah. 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 Like, I think that's a really great distinction. Me too. Um, it, yeah, and, and so I could I could see myself doing something like that, but I think if I did, I would want it to be, like, really collaborative Is and that bring what, in a bunch of... Sorry, sorry. I'm so sorry no, no, to interrupt you. No problem. Go ahead. Is that what you did with Lydia Loveless? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I would want to do a bunch of stuff like that. It's just fun that you can just kind of listen to versus yeah. like being like, oh, this is, this is a fucking album. Right, right, you know? right, right. This is serious shit. Let's yeah. get it right, you know? I-, I love that song. Was it Portions for Foxes? Yeah, yeah, I love it's it too. Really great song, man. Yeah, it is. Uh, is she, um, where is she from? Uh, Lydia? Yeah. Columbus. Okay. Ohio. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's actually where we recorded it. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, so let me, let's go back really quick. Cause I, I want to figure out like what, what, what attracted you to music, uh, uh, enough to make you want to make it. And like, how old were you? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, There, there's video of me as a toddler with a toy guitar standing in the middle of a room with a bunch of family singing and telling everybody to clap. <laughs> so I, I think it's as innate as it could have been. Dude, I was exactly um, that guy too. I have the photos of it yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but I think that um, I'm trying to think of like what really made me want to make music. Um, hmm. You know, I, I, I grew up in a a very a, a, a like a contemporary Protestant um, up, upbringing and. And I was, uh, my first exposure to bands was like Christian contemporary artists, like the Newsboys. Okay. And I remember going to a Newsboys concert when I was like in third or fourth grade and there was a drum solo where they had this platform and they got lifted into the air and then they were upside down and they were playing this dual drum solo. And I just remember thinking like, 
I don't think I thought at that time I want to do this, but I was like the spectacle of it all right. and the grandiosity and the, um, you know, the, the energy was just infectious for me. And, um, I think I wrote, you know, and then, so I started playing drums when I was in third grade and I played drums for about eight years. Um, and that was my first instrument. And, uh, but I started playing guitar simultaneously about three years after. And I think I wrote my first song when I was in like fourth, fourth grade. And, um, yeah, I just, uh, it was just something that I just, I don't know. It's like a compulsion. I still think of music for me as like a compulsion. It's something I have to do. Yeah. Whether it's like I'm doing dishes and I just have to like scream out at last. Right. Or, you know, something like that. It just like kind of happens to me. And it's always felt like a compulsion, like this beautiful compulsion. So it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly like a moment where it's like, oh, I want to do this. It just always seemed like, well, this is, this is who, what I am. Yeah. 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 When you grew up, uh, you grew up obviously going to church. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you were saying that, that you had encountered our friend Dorian in, in like church bands. Mm-hmm. As a, yeah. so, so it's as at, a, it, at, a, at a church gig. Yeah. Has it stayed with you? Have you, uh, do you have a pretty good foundation and roots in faith? Uh, yeah, I would call myself, um, um, it's, it's really hard in this day and age to associate myself with like, um, evangelicalism and all the pitfalls of it and the, you know, all the shit that just has become a part of, um, you know, saying that you're a Christian in this country, all the baggage that it has and all the harm the church has done. It's just, it's hard for me to, I don't, I don't necessarily love coming out and saying like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Um, but yeah, I do ultimately, uh, I am infatuated with the person of Christ and still, um, still consider myself a a believer in that sense. Yeah. What, if you don't, I mean, if you don't mind talking about this, I don't want to make it not at all weird out it obviously comes out it comes out in your lyrics that you have some sort of knowledge of the bible and of the teach you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like that that comes out very clearly um what is it like when you go on 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 do you go every sunday uh no not every sunday but like every every third or fourth sunday okay and you're married yeah, I'm married. And your wife is also uh, yeah. practicing? Mm-hmm, she's practicing as well, yeah. Okay, so when you guys go, like, what what is it that you're going for? And I'm asking this not in any kind of confrontational way, but because I grew up like like a Cuban Catholic and then, mm-hmm. like, resenting the whole thing. And there's some stuff in there. Uh, there there's uh, You can see your struggle when you lost your mom right? There's some struggle mm-hmm. going on with your, with your faith and your belief during that time. 100%. Okay. I think that's constant, by the way. I don't, I mean, I, I say to people sometimes, like I wake up a Christian and go to bed atheist. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I'm constantly vacillating, but, um, and that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but, that, but, but that, it, that leaves room for you to be an honest person and honest about yourself and not uh, hypocritical about what happens because exactly. because those are the things that I believe that turn you off, that turn me off, and and turn the rest of the people get turned off by uh, organized mm-hmm. religion yeah. and Christianity specifically. That's pointing a finger at things. Yeah, for sure, and I think that. Excuse me. Um, when I think when we go to church we're essentially seeking to connect with what we believe to be the source of our being. Um, and I think that there's a way in which that happens in a group of like-minded people, um, that are looking for the same thing. 
and I think that community and the intentional kind of the intentional um, gratitude shown in those services as a group of people uh, is really um, it's empowering uh, and it's beautiful and it's sorely needed. I think in the day and age where our communities are just being ripped apart. Um, But I'm also, (laughs) I think it's also important for me to mention here that like, it's, it's been hard for me to, find churches in this day and age that I'm comfortable with. Uh, because I think that a lot of churches, um, they, they rely on a certainty gospel, as I like to call it, where like, you know, I remember when I was younger and saying like, Hey, so like if, 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 if the devil asked for forgiveness, would God forgive him? And could he come to heaven? And I just remember being like having the people I asked that to just be like, we don't ask questions like that, you know? And, um, that was never really okay with me, that response. Um, and, uh, I was just always kind of exploring that part. Um, and I, but I feel like a a lot of churches are like not so much ground in, in like a faith in the source of the universe but more of like a way to fend off the existentialism that comes with not being certain. Right. Um, so like, I think that that certainty has caused a lot of pain and a lot of trouble for a lot of people. And so for me, like I've got to find, if I'm, if, if I'm going to a church, I need to, I need to be certain that those kind of questions can be asked and discussed in a, in a place that's like encouraging and um, not in a place that's going to get, that's going to have leadership that's so freaked out by the question themselves that they're just going to default to a, no, we don't ask those kind of questions kind of thing. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it's interesting because I do meet a lot of people like, how old are you? I'm 35. Okay. A lot of people like your age and even younger, like, do you know, like Scott Strickland? Um, I don't know, Scott, no. Songwriter here in town. There's a lot of people that are involved in, in a church and, uh, and, you know, out there making the music and doing that stuff as opposed to like when I was growing up or coming up, as I should say, like in the early nineties, it was a bunch of heathens, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like (laughs) openly, openly, uh, openly pushing this stuff away and like, uh, whatever i think I, yeah. I think it's a positive thing and i think it's beautiful to know that there are, it that people can have those sensibilities in in like the sense that a band like you two or have you ever heard this guy joe james no i haven't he's a guy I'm from here in town. Both these names down. same kind of same kind of uh thing great great songwriter and and it's interesting because uh like like there are bands like like you two that i don't know how familiar you are you are with them or their music Mm-hmm. But they they are able to to uh, they have faith. It's and it's something that they honestly are 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 grapple always, with. Grapple with always. Yeah. yeah. As uh-huh. as as I guess you should with anything. Even like if you're uh, you know very affiliated with a political uh, uh, yeah side or whatever it is. You know a, a political yeah. organization. To constantly be uh, questioning, and and I mean that for everybody. I'm not saying that remotely. No, 100%. I think the the biggest issue in the world today is we don't live examined lives anymore. That's exactly right. we, We collect our distractions and curate our distractions and schedule them so that we don't have to be feel the existential dread that comes with being a human on a very small planet in a very massive, massive galaxy and an even bigger universe. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think that's the biggest problem in the world today, not just with religious people, but with everybody. Yeah. I mean, it's why I, it's why I throw so many dissonant notes into my music. I want people to be shaken away from the dishwasher so that I'm, and they're unable to think of what I'm doing is just background music. And they actually have to like, Engage. you know, 
engage with themselves and what's going on in their own hearts and maybe something that they've been running from, whether it's like a, you know, like some trauma they went through as a child or as an adult or, you know, whatever. But I mean, we're all trying to fend off that existential dread in some way. So I completely agree with you. Yeah. Speaking of having to deal with that, when you went into therapy, did you worry at any time that it would take the edge off of you? Because I've, 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 I've been going off and on to therapy for 22 years. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and there was a time I, I really should have gone, uh, you know, throughout my 20s and stuff. I wasn't ready to do it. But I also had this fear that it was going to take away my edge. <laughs> <laughs> you know what funny. I mean? Like um, I was gonna, I was gonna be dull and like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. I, I would like to, you know, the stupid Trump hat. Say, make America great again. I would like to get a hat that says, "Make it okay for musicians to get therapy again." Yeah, and I think that I, I'm okay if I'm less edgy. But I'm a better person. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's fine with me. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's um, it it is an interesting thing. That's an interesting. Um, well, I, I feel I feel like as artists and creators, there's something super romantic about emotional and mental discomfort that that keeps you striving to mm. to have this fight that you can have in your music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the, the white mm-hmm. hat versus the black hat is always the story. You know what I mean? But you really get down to the basics. Okay. Of it, you know? I, yeah. I, I see what you're saying. And like, in, in that sense, I, I have thought a lot about that. If you keep your like, demons I, alive and well, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I have, I have thought quite a bit about that. And am I holding on to grief as some sort of like, you know, trophy or something like that, right. or am I actually processing it? And it was a question I asked myself quite a bit during this process is like, are you just being self-destructive because you're actually like really, really fucked up about your mom dying? Or are you being self-destructive because you're, you're making this record and you think it'll make the record better? <laughs> and like, I, I, I would, I was constantly struggling with those kind of questions. Cause I think it's really, there's a Mary Oliver poem called the poet with his face in his hands. And, um, I'm not going to quote it here cause I don't know well enough, but it kind of explores the theme of like, you know, um, artists and musicians and poets feeling like if there's no turmoil in their life, that their artistic existence is moot. Right. And I think that that is such a failure of, of thought (laughs) because what, what I, what I think an artist is trying to do is, is not just tell someone about their traumas or what they've been through, but say something true about the universe, uh, whether it's a sad truth or a, happy truth or a, you know, a neutral truth even shoot. Um, but, uh, yeah, so truth is all you need to make great art. And I think that, you know, when I, in the past, when I've focused on like, you know, I've even had the thought before, and this is, I hate that I've had this thought before where it's just like, wow. I mean, if my mom hadn't died, I wouldn't have written all these great songs. And like, I'm just like, what a weird thought to have. Um, and just like being ashamed of that thought. And like, I'm a human. I know I'm, I'm very much, um, I know that I'm very susceptible to that, that way of thinking. And I just, uh, I just don't want to be, I don't want it to be like kind of this thing that I hold on to in order to make my artistic existence, uh, more valid. And I don't think that you need it. I think you just need the truth that's out there in the universe and you got to just find it and figure out a way to serve it to people as humbly and as um, honestly as you can. Amen. Well said. Yeah, no matter, no, no matter what, the toddler with the guitar making people clap for him is still there. 
Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't really need to nurture that part of yourself when you're born with it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe. Well, I mean, like, 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 it doesn't need any help getting any bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Um, you have a dog? I saw pictures of I your do. dog. What a beautiful dog. Yeah. Thank you. The great Dane. He's, he's been, uh, a joy. I love that dude. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we've just really enjoyed having him. I have one myself that uh, she is the light of my life. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. crazy how, how deeply we get attached to these animals. Oh, especially um, since but, you're working from home too. It's like a whole scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, did I? Did, what does your wife do? Uh, she's a nurse practitioner. Okay, I didn't know if she was in music yeah. or not, or what her deal is. No, no, definitely not. She's a she's a poet. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, she. That's something that's that's been a kind of always a side thing um, that she just and does because she enjoys it and um, beautiful poems. Um, I think, I think they could be published, but I might be biased. Yeah. Well, you're also, <laughs> I mean, you got, you're a great writer. What does she, does she ever, uh, she ever give you any suggestions? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I remember one time when we were on an anniversary trip back in like 2018, I think when I was writing Jordan and the Nile and I just couldn't get the verses, right. I mean, that song was a labor, like figuring that song out was really tough. Um, I think one of the more difficult, um, arrangements I've ever done or a song that I've, I've been a part of. Well, and, it's, um, it's funny cause it has one of those grand layouts, like, uh, like band on the run or something. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like it doesn't sound yeah, like it, but it, it's it's like you you definitely you can't just go in there and jam that song and that's it. It's no, like, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, not. That's always fun when that can happen, but that was definitely not one of those songs. Um, but yeah, I remember we were just like laying in bed and just kind of rolling through different lyrics that I had thought of and kind of saying, ah, "Nah, yeah, that's good. That could be better." So I mean, she's always we're always talking about that kind of stuff and throwing things back and forth with each other's writing. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. That's great. I'm glad that this, uh, this experience you were able to, to have this, uh, cathartic artistic experience and that you have, I mean, you seem like you're, uh, you're grounded and level headed and not in any sort of despair or anything like that. It seems like it's worked out. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely, uh, at this point in my life, I do feel like I'm on the other side. Um, I think that grief is something that lives with you forever. Yes. And it's never gone, but I think you learn how to live with this kind of hole in your heart and you actually end up making a new space for for more to go in there and um and i think that uh yeah i very much feel like i'm on maybe just beginning but i feel like i'm on the other side of the of the grief seesaw the grief seesaw (laughs) (laughs) um i I come up with better illustrations than that i think yeah, I love this album art too, man. It's it's amazing. That girl's name Michaela Jane. Yeah, mm-hmm. Michaela Kenaway, um, but she goes by Michaela Jane on all her socials. Phenomenal uh, she's artwork. Great. Yeah, I like it too. I and, think it's really awesome. And the record's coming out on vinyl as well. Uh, yeah, I just saw a bunch of the vinyl at Americana Fest. Uh, it's there. Awesome, and it's exciting. Yeah. How was Americana Fest? Did you see anyone cool? Uh, I didn't, um, those festivals are exhausting for me personally. I, I, I like going to them, but I usually stick to when I play and then I just, you know, schmooze a little bit like you're supposed to do with your people. And then I pretty much 
try to like get my energy up for the next show. Um, right. I played three shows in two days. Right. Um, and, and so I was just, I, I, I tend to, I think that those festivals are like, I think they're 10 times more exhausting than like a two week long stretch of a tour, uh, because of just how much activity there is outside of the shows. Right. And you're just going around and doing all that stuff. So, so yeah, I didn't, unfortunately I saw Lydia's set, which I was really excited to see. Um, but I didn't really see anybody else. Um, I was a bad attendee. That's all right, man. Hey, yeah, you're right. You know, because like when you're on tour, you go and you might have to do sound check or drive wherever you have to drive, but you'll take a nap and do something. At those things, exactly. you're just like up morning, especially like like during South by Southwest, which I'm sure you've experienced. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's exactly like South by Southwest, Folk Alliance, and Americana Fest. All those those three are just like. Oh man, they can just be really exhausting. But hey, I want to do a quick time check here. I do have a meeting at two. Yeah, no problem. So, I was just um, I was wrapping yeah. it up anyway. Thin places at the album. Okay, cool. Hey man, I hope we get to meet at some point in person. I've really yeah, enjoyed talking absolutely. to you, man, and I really love this record. It's gorgeous. People need to get out there and check it out. Thin places on Bloodshot Records. Go to Jason Hawk Harris to find out when you can see him play and how to get vinyl and whatnot. Thanks so much, Johnny. I really appreciate you having me, man. All right, dude. Nice meeting you. You too. See you later. There's flowers in front of the altar and people in pews. Gang, that was Jason Hawk Harris. His album Thin Places available now wherever you stream and download music on Bloodshot Records. It's also available on vinyl. So go to jasonhawkharris.com to find out when he's coming to a town near you, how to get the, the, the record on vinyl, or to see the amazingly beautiful videos that he has up uh, for his music out there. All right. Also, I forgot to say, I love the album art. Michaela Jane is the person who did that. Great, 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 great artwork. All right. Go to Jason Hawk Harris for all your Jason Hawk Harris needs. I want to thank Jason for doing the show. It was great talking to him. Great getting to know him. Gang, have a great week, whatever it is you're doing. And don't forget when you're out there checking out jasonhawkharris.com, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you find podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, TuneIn, even Amazon. You can ask your Alexa to play uh, How Did I Get Here by Johnny Gowdy or ask your Google Nest to do it. They all do it, man. Do it, all right? Have a great week, whatever it is you're doing. Let's get down. They'll be in bright colors And I'll dress in black They'll ask death a question Where is your sting? But they don't really want to know Me and death, we both agree That if they really want to know They could just ask me They painted her nails And lint rolled her dress She's primped and adjusted But she don't look any less dead This whole congregation Is shaking my hand And I'm rolling my eyes When they tell me it's part of God's plan front of the altar and people in pews Feels like everyone's smiling and singing and praising too soon They'll bring out the lilies while I hide in the back They'll be in bright colors and I'll dress in black They'll Just ask me There's a woman 
like you used to do Feels like everyone's smiling and singing and praising too soon They'll bring out the lilies While I hide in the back They'll be in bright colors And I'll dress in black Just ask me